it's time for some podcast reviews. This is from Charlotte Jones 2. This podcast is absolutely unreal. I'm able to relate to something in every episode. I listen to an episode in my car on my way to university each day and it really changes my mindset for the day and I'm actively seeing myself change and achieve my goals. Just wanted to say hi to you, Lisa, and we're going to be on this podcast one day. Wait and see and thank you. Well, Charlotte, I look forward to seeing you opposite me on the chair, girl. We're living through an unprecedented time right now, guys. Many of us are quarantined, many of us are stressed about finances, many of us are unsure of the future, and anxiety is at an all-time high. So today I wanted to do a different kind of episode. We've had a lot of women on this show talk about their personal struggles with anxiety and tactical tips on how to manage it. So I put together a series of clips that will help you understand and manage your anxiety better. So guys, lean in, Take notes and remember, we will get through this together. Nicola Perez shares why improving your gut health may improve your anxiety. How much does um, health and nutrition to you play in this? Because understanding our thoughts, everything you've broken down is so amazing. But I do think that mm-hmm. there's that other component, yes. which I know you've gone through and me too, is the importance of sleep, nutrition, all of that. Explain that to me and why people, people don't think about it as being part of their evolution of um, getting stronger, getting more confident, but I think it's one of the most fundamental things. Yeah, I think it's everything important because it gives our body a physiologically balanced base so that we can start to navigate our mind differently Mm. because the mind and the body are connected, right? So there is no separation. The brain is an organ that lives in the body. So the health of the body is gonna impact the health of the brain. And in the mind, what we're worried about, our thoughts, our mental clarity, our attention, you know, some of the symptoms that we're struggling, if we're we're struggling with mental wellness, are all going to be impacted then by the health of the body. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I started to consider my nutrition and make some changes, it was when I was able to be in a more balanced body that then gave me the, the tools in a sense or enhance the tools of meditation and breath work and all of that because in our gut not only is it where our the nutrients are being absorbed that our brain our brain has is the the most in need of calories and nutrients to function so if we have a damaged gut we're not going to be getting the nutrients to our brain and our cognition might start to slow and our energy and sleep is an incredibly important system most of us don't get enough sleep all of that is in service of making sure that our brain is as healthy as possible and that starts with nutrition even furthermore we now know that these neurotransmitters that we've all thought for so long were, were produced in the brain and contained to the brain, the serotonins, the dopamines, essentially all that is you know, kind of imbalanced when we're struggling with depression and anxiety, are actually manufactured in our gut as well. Mm-hmm. So again, if our guts aren't functioning properly, our brain isn't gonna function properly. And so if we begin to heal our guts by first, the way I see it, removing the gut damaging foods, making sure we're getting a lot of nutrient-dense food that we are eating. Before we know it, some, if not all, of our symptoms actually might go away. And it wasn't until I got my nutrition in order and then I became much more consistent with my meditation, with my breath work, and then really started to explore my own inner child wounds that I was able to, to heal. But I don't think, honestly, without making sure that my body was balanced, I don't know how successful my healing would have been. Yeah, I thought it was total woo-woo 
Um, when mm-hmm. I, so I've been sick now for about four years, been struggling with my gut health issues. And initially I was going to all the like very traditional doctors. And um, after a while, someone kept saying to me, well, maybe you need to see a more holistic approach. And the first thing someone said to me is stop working when you eat. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, just stressing yourself out Stress. so much. And at that point, I was so desperate for an answer that I was like, e- it's woo-woo, but sure, I'll try it. And that's where I saw massive radical change in mm. me and for the better. Um, and I know that you have mentioned that you became very forgetful. You would forget things mid-sentence. And um, I've always um, said that I'm going to be the person that's always very honest. And I've actually been on this show in days where um, I've noticed that I'm very tired, that my stomach is hurting a lot, which means I can't eat much. And so... I was in an interview and I forgot the question I was asking as I was asking Mm -hmm. it. And that was one of those moments that was very heartbreaking for me. I felt like, oh my God, am I not a good host anymore? Like we need to cut it out. I was so embarrassed. But in hearing everything that you're saying and things that I'm learning on the side of the um, brain gut connection, it's just like, wow, my my health really had that impact on the brain and how I was performing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the reality of it is, societally, some of these gut-damaging foods are so prolific. They are in everything. So first and foremost, just becoming educated and starting to be a conscious consumer, reading labels, and really showing each and every one of us how present these, these particular items are in the daily choices that we're making, especially if you're going to the McDonald's or the fast foods. I mean, they are using not only the oils, I mean, some of the products. And if you're doing that multiple times a week, before you know it, you're really going to be accumulating some problems in your gut. And I was that person, even though I would go and pick what I thought were the healthier options, living in cities my whole life, you know, food at my fingertips, you know, I was, I was eating way less healthy mm-hmm. than I think I intended. And I, I didn't know, I, I wasn't aware. Um, so I often suggest being conscious about your food choices, but then starting to do some self-experimentation. So I didn't even know I could feel better mm-hmm. until I started to remove some of these. And then I felt how I felt. And I was like, oh wow, my sleep is getting better. My cognition's getting a bit clearer. My attention, I have a little bit more choice about where I put my attention now. I'm not as feeling as emotionally reactive. That's another symptom, mm-hmm. sometimes for a lot of us, on either gut dab- damage or blood sugar dysregulation. Riding that emotional roller coaster really can originate in our guts. And I didn't know. So I removed some things and then I saw that my health was improving. Vanessa Van Edwards shares how you can trick yourself into feeling excited. So another study, um, uh, what they did was they wanted to look at anxiety. And when we're talking about awkwardness, I think that some very similar kind of feelings Mm -hmm. in there, anxious, Mm -hmm. awkward, um, shy. What this study did is they wanted to know that exact question, is what do you do if you are anxious, but you gotta fake it? Right. You you gotta find confidence. They didn't use the word fake it. So what they realized was that anxiety and anxiousness is a sister emotion to excitement. Mm. Okay, so when you think about when you're anxious, what happens in your body? You get little butterflies in your stomach, you start to kind of sweat, you get a little bit of dry mouth, you feel a little bit hot and sweaty. That's anxious. Your heart's like your heart's doing palpitations. Going. Now explain excitement to me. Yeah. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. In your body, yeah. anxiety and excitement feel very similar. The cousin or sister emotion, is there a way to reframe how you're viewing your own anxiety? as potential excitement. And here's what they did. 
they took people and they had them uh, come into the lab and they gave them a task and the task was cruel in my opinion. What was it? They had them sing Don't Stop Believing into a karaoke machine. So they were rated for their accuracy of words, accuracy of notes, accuracy of lyrics, like oh high pressure. I know. Yeah. Okay. So see, I think about, if I can get the numbers right. So they had them sing this karaoke song, but they had three different groups. Okay. The first group walked in, sung the song, done. Control group. Second group walked in and they had to say, I'm anxious out loud and then sing. And the last group had to say, I'm excited and then sing the song. That's it. No, no prep, no mental nothing, just saying those words. Of course, the I'm excited group outperformed, outsung, and actually enjoyed the experience more than the group that just said, I'm anxious. This is, I think, such good news. It means that we are in control mm. of how we view our own anxiety, mm. our own awkwardness. The opening line of this book, which by the way, when I first submitted this book to my publisher, my whole introduction was about you know, science and data and you know, all these impressive things. And she's like, Vanessa, this isn't you. That's amazing. She's like, can you start with something more vulnerable? She's like, what's the thing that you're most afraid of that readers are going to see about this book? And I'm like, I'm afraid that they're going to read this book and think, why would I learn about charisma from an awkward person? She's like, that's exactly why they want to learn from you. So the opening line of the book is, my name is Vanessa and I'm a recovering awkward person. It's the most vulnerable thing I could think of. And instead of for years in my business, I hid it. Mm. I hid it mm. under the guise of being an expert, a scientist, a journalist. And the moment that I began to put my awkwardness forward as a flip side where I view my awkwardness as a very powerful vulnerability, I do not view my awkwardness as a liability anymore. Mm. And I would say the same thing. If you're anxious or you're nervous or you're lacking confidence, what is the flip side to that? Is it that your anxiousness could be excitement? Use that adrenaline. Is it that your awkwardness could be a real vulnerability to find other fellow recovering awkward people? Right. That was why this book did well. I think it was that opening line. That was why in my videos, I decided to put my awkwardness forward. It's the same thing. I don't want you to fake it till you make it. I want you to show up anxious and awkward and learn how to use it. And that is what gravitated me towards you in the book yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Because you almost don't, you don't want to look up to someone saying they've got it all, they're perfect. Right. I want to look at the awkward person and say, how did she get out of it? Yeah. Because clearly she's, it's worked once. Right, right. And every time I do it, it works again and again. Right. So the funny thing is, for a long time, I was trying to grow my business, trying to grow my brand, and trying to be the expert, the expert, mm -hmm. have it all together, be perfect, be Wonder Woman. And it wasn't until I started to learn that actually it was the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And I learned it really silly. I was posting on Instagram, and I posted a picture of me surfing. Not well, but me surfing, me up, standing up. Okay. And the funny thing is, the photographer for the little surf school had two pictures, one of me surfing, and the very next one was of me face planting into the water, okay? <laughs> so I was like, this isn't real. I'm gonna post the face plant. So five minutes later, I posted the face plant. The face plant, of course, got so many more likes, so many more reach outs, and I realized then and there, actually, mm -hmm. that photo, I was like, what am I doing on Instagram? Like, what am I doing with my brand? Like, why am I trying to hide the falls? And I think of it, have you heard of like the swan theory? Have you ever heard this idea? No. So I heard this idea so resonated with me, which 
when you look at a swan on a lake, it looks so peaceful, right? The swan is beautiful and elegant and gliding and everything's great and perfect, right? But underneath the water, the swan is like, (laughs) you know, like paddling furiously. It's murky under there. The water is kind of dirty. They're paddling for their life. Mm. And I was like, that at least feels like me or I don't know other, most other female business owners I know where we're, we're trying to be this perfect swan, right? Mm. But underneath it all, we're wearing Spanx, we're trying to hold it in, we're paddling for our lives. Mm. And I was like, why aren't we talking about the murk? Why aren't we talking about the chaos? Why aren't we talking about the paddling for our lives? So when I go to a networking event, there, no, I walk in and I feel a little awkward, yeah. You know, I walk in and I'm like, oh, there's the cool kids and I'm going the other way. Yeah. Right? Like, do you still do that now? Yes. Interesting. And I think that it's so unfair to say to people, oh no, I never feel awkward. Mm. I'm done feeling awkward. And that's unfortunately what we do. I think a lot of the times as women is we set ourselves up to think, oh yeah, you know, I have it all figured out. I never feel nervous. I never feel anxious. I'm confident all the time. So the flip side of trying to show up confident is also... How do we say, yeah, I can be confident, but I also had to really work to get it. Sean Korn shares how yoga can actually relieve anxiety. I didn't know I had obsessive compulsive disorder Mm -hmm. when I was a child because it wasn't something that, um, A, my parents wouldn't have taken me to a therapist. Uh, We didn't come from that kind of an environment. You just kind of got over it. And... uh, it just wasn't um, a diagnosis until later on. I knew I had quirky behaviors. They weren't unmanageable, but when I was uncomfortable, I would do things in patterns of fours or eights, whether it was blinking, swallowing, walking into walls. If someone touched me on one side, they have to touch me on the other side. And as long as I did these patterns, I would feel good in my body. If something happened in an odd number, and I was conscious of it. The anxiety, again, what I know today is being anxiety, would get worse and worse. And it was also um, coupled with superstition, mm-hmm. meaning that if I didn't do the patterns in certain ways, that I was always afraid that someone I loved would die or get sick, um, and that it would be my responsibility. And so it became very important that I patterned, is what I called it, to make sure that everyone around me sa- stayed safe. And it was something that really depended on how elevated my stress levels were. And, but again, I couldn't have known that, uh, understood that pattern. Is it the control factor? Is that what? Well, yes, of course. For me, it was, I dealt with, with as I write about in the book, I, I dealt with childhood sexual trauma at six years old. Mm-hmm. And it, my obsessive compulsive disorder began shortly after that. What had happened to me took agency from my body, from my voice, um, from my choice. And I recognize now that when I would pattern, I could create control around my body. It's the only thing I had. And it's the only thing I could do to make my body feel contained and feel safe. My patterning, especially in even numbers, was a way for me to create balance and harmony in what I knew to be a chaotic world. And in the moment of trauma and the chemicals releasing into your body, there's a contraction that happens in order to create a sense of safety. 
So the body contracts and in that moment, that trauma has been imprinted in the cells. So as I get older, that contraction, that tension actually feels safe. Anytime that there's a release of that tension, I don't know what's on the other side of that tension. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence that mm -hmm. it's a good thing. And so my big feelings, when tension would start to release, big feelings would come up. And in life, when big feelings come up, if we don't know how to manage them, we might turn to food or sex or drugs or alcohol or the internet or shopping, whatever it might be, to anesthetize or numb out from the bigger feelings. I didn't have access to that when I was seven years old. So patterning became my drug of choice. It made me feel better in the same way a drink might or drugs might. For a split second, it helped to diffuse the emotion that was the core of that anxiety. And so when I moved away from home and away from my support system, especially my mother, my anxiety got worse and my patterning got worse. But at this point, I'm now doing drugs. But I also simultaneously was able to discover yoga and meditation and therapy. And I straddled two worlds for a while. One world where I had access to all the drugs and alcohol that I wanted or needed and the other world where I was being introduced into these different ideas. And so thankfully, one side took over mm -hmm. more and it helped me to pull out of some of those habits before they became chronic. Mm -hmm. Now I hadn't gotten to the core of my wounding yet, not even close, mm -hmm. but yoga and meditation and pranayama breathing techniques, they were helping me to self-regulate mm -hmm. and not need to want to anesthetize myself with drugs or alcohol. It allowed me to stay a little bit more present to my big feelings without being overwhelmed by them. Mm -hmm. And in time was able to learn uh, skills to help me to at first just manage my obsessive compulsive disorder, help me to manage the anxiety and in time help me to understand how the anxiety got there in the first place because mm -hmm. that's key. It helped me to move through the anger, which was why, which was what drugs and alcohol were trying to mask so that I can get to what was underneath the anger, which was grief. Mm -hmm. And no amount of anything can um, heal you uh, more than really connecting with your deepest vulnerability because that's the access point to surrender and surrender is what opens us up to God. Yeah. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 
86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Um, I want to talk about that first step into yoga because I heard you say that it actually caused you more anxiety initially. Um, So what allowed you to keep going? Because if Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I've got anxiety and I go do yoga, I just try Mm -hmm. it out and it actually heightens it. My instinct, right, is to run. It's like, I'm never doing that again. That makes it worse because I think that people do that. They want um, to play it safe, to feel secure, to feel safe. So what kept you going? Mm -hmm. And actually explain how it gave you more anxiety and then take me through the steps. Well, as a teacher, I watch it all the time. And... What students don't often understand is that it's part of the process, the mm-hmm. discomfort. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of the, the their own personal evolution. They can't get to the other side of it until they go through it. So teachers would say things like, focus on the sensation. So I started to notice that my anxiety has a sensation attached to it. My heart would beat fast. My face would get red. My breath would get really short. I'd feel hot. I'd feel fidgety. Those were sensations that let me know that I'm having anxiety. It's like, okay, I can, I can be with that. And so breathing and self-regulating was the way in which I was able to manage the impulse. But that's not enough. Mm-hmm. I had to find out where, what was the core of it. Now, of course, the core was trauma. Mm-hmm. I didn't associate myself with someone who had trauma, um, but I did. And this was the way in which my particular nervous system responded to it was by going into this energetic lockdown and dissociating, disconnecting from my body and needing patterning as a way to feel in control. And so it was, uh, I kept going to yoga. I kept taking more and more classes because it was helping me to manage the OCD and then therapy helped me to understand its core. Mm. So take me through the unraveling then of the trauma, because 
recently I had a guest on and it blew my mind because I always think of trauma as being very big, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you've been sexually abused, you've been um, kidnapped, I mean like yeah, massive, yeah. massive things. Um, so I never thought of like myself as having trauma or yeah. really other people that I know like having trauma and they broke it down yeah. and I, I heard you say the same thing is like everyone has some form of trauma. Yeah. So talk to me about you discovering that you had trauma and how yeah. other people at home can start to identify that. Trauma is anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and leaves us feeling helpless, hopeless, out of control, or unable to respond. What might be traumatic for me might not be traumatic for you at Mm. all and vice versa. Bullying, death of a loved one, um, uh, uh, divorce, these are traumas that can have a huge impact, especially when you're a child. Mm. So there's shock trauma. Those are those usually one-offs, those unimaginable moments that just pull the rug right out from underneath you. But developmental trauma is different. And all of us experience it. And it's usually when we don't have the words to express our big feelings. Mm. See, emotion is, um, everything is energy. You know, Energy is defined as vibration with information. But there's subtle energy, and subtle energy you cannot see, but you can feel. Love, joy, these are subtle energies. But so is shame, fear, rage, guilt, grief, what they call the shadow emotions. So when you experience trauma, there's always going to be a shadow emotion that's attached to it, uh, usually many of them. So you experience this trauma, bullying, you know, you're, you're ashamed, you're angry, you're afraid. Remember that what I said before, it's like your, your, your brain releases chemicals, you go into fight, flight, freeze, uh, or collapse, there's that contraction. If you were raised in an environment where your parents recognized, or who's ever raising you, recognize like, okay, there's been, uh, this, this child is overwhelmed, um, they look like they might be in shutdown, uh, let's give them a space to express those big feelings. Maybe they pick up a tennis racket and they beat a pillow. Maybe they journal write and use whatever language they want. They let the animal energy out of them. When they do that, they discharge the energy and they're able to get to what's underneath the rage and the fear and the shame, which is grief. Most people weren't raised in that kind of an environment. This is what might happen. You know, big feeling comes up and parents said, oh, God, you're, you're, you're sad or you're scared. Here, have a cookie. <laughs> or you're angry. Come on. Let's go shopping. I'll buy you a little you're present. You're fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worse has happened. Yeah. And, or I'll give you something and be sad about right. it. And so what, what they're taught is to suppress mm-hmm. it. So you take that anger, you take that rage, you take that shame, and you suppress it into the body that suppressed emotion, it becomes tension, Mm. that contraction. Tension, stress, and anxiety are the number one causes of illness and depression. Ashley Stuhl shares why being uncomfortable is necessary. That's the thing about anxiety is what I've learned with my own anxiety and having healed from so much of it is that I don't think the truth and anxiety coexist. Mm -hmm. I think you can have pain with the truth, but usually anxiety is just feedback that you're not connected or you're not listening to something. I think a lot of people aren't in touch with their pain. And so they think that they say, I'm fine, I'm comfortable, I should be so grateful. They tell themselves all these stories to keep themselves where they are because the only thing worse is going into the unknown at that moment for them. Whereas for me, I've learned not to be comfortable with lukewarm and to see that as an indicator. 
And so my opinion, it's who you are always wins. The truth mm. always wins. And I think a lot of people have this false notion that they're moving forward and advancing. Like for example, mm. I have a girlfriend who's single and she's really bummed out about it. She really thrives in partnership. And she was looking at a couple friends of mine saying like, look at what they have, they're married. I know those people very well and I happen to know they're not happy. I think like at the end of the day, so many people aren't willing to listen. And what I've found mm. is some of the biggest decisions I've made, whether it's letting go of working in counterterrorism, having a management role, doing really well in the workforce, not really knowing if things were going to work out for me as an entrepreneur, or calling off my wedding. I was with an amazing guy wow. for five years. And I totally could have married him and had a really nice life. And it's just one of wow. those things where when you admit to yourself that something's not working, and that's why I'm writing my book, U-Turn, because it's all about turning back mm. to yourself. And it's like, when you're willing to do that, it's painful, but it's not mm. as painful as going to bed every night with anxiety for years on end because you're not listening. And it's like pushing a beach ball under the ocean. It's tiring, mm. you know? So for me, for those people who are actually saying, I'm scared I'm gonna fail. To me, like my perception, nobody's a failure. I don't believe anybody to be a failure, mm -hmm. but you're already failing if you feel that disconnected and you're not connecting to your pain because who you are always wins. It's gonna come out anyway. Mm. Ask yourself, where am I comfortable right now? Where am I doing exceedingly well? And where do I feel comfortable? Are you actually comfortable or are you secretly miserable? Mm -hmm. And what yeah. does comfort mean though? Yeah, it's personal, right? There's three things that happen, right? There's creation, maintenance, and destruction. And you're always around the corner from each one, hmm. right? So it's like you're either creating, you're maintaining, or it's about to fall apart because it doesn't work for you anymore. And most people just stay at the maintenance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Topa Gonzalez shares why you have to feel your fear and do it anyway. I mean, I'll notice myself getting really um, kind of anxious and uncomfortable when I am feeling like I am not in control of something. For instance, I have this odd fear of driving on the freeway, which is so weird. I mean, in California, it's like the worst fear to have because <laughs> everybody's like just crazy. You can't go anywhere. Can't go anywhere. Go no. But I'm like, why in the world would I be afraid to get in the car on the highway? Always. No, just randomly, this just random fear popped up out of nowhere. Recently. Recently. And I went to therapy and they said that, you know, sometimes our trauma surfaces in different ways. It, it could be a fear of, I don't know, of, of being alone or a fear of, you know, making in social anxiety, all those kinds of things. Um, for me, it was the freeway and it's, I don't know what it, I've, I've, nothing's ever happened to me on the freeway. I don't know what that is, but for whatever reason, there's some sort of little. So do you think it is the control thing? Whereas like you can be in control as much as possible, but it, it just takes one driver yeah. out of control to yeah. change that. Yes. I feel like I don't, it's trusting the drivers around me. Hmm. So I think it obviously comes from a lack of trust oh. in, in, in an environment, maybe possibly from when I was a child. So w have you got s some things that you're doing to like overcome that? Yeah. So I mean, I think for most people who have anxiety for in any situation, mm. um, have to keep it going from a one to a hundred. Right. And I, I like to stop it at about a five. So by, by trying to, I don't know, think about something that I have to do that will completely take my mind off of the anxiety itself is the only way I can get through it. So really, like distract yourself? Complete distraction. Really? Is the only way. 
And if you go back to it, does it then the anxiety go away or it resurfaces every time you go back to thinking about it? It goes away. Okay. And it's also just doing it, going through your fear. Yeah. So I can't just not get on the freeway forever because then, you know, I'll never drive on the freeway. Right. So forcing myself to get up and drive and go do it, palm sweaty, anxiety, <laughs> and, just, and just doing it. Yeah. And then afterwards feeling really proud of myself, like, okay, sounds so stupid, but I like, I drove on the freeway for like, you know, three miles. But it's not stupid because it's right. really about the fear that you've overcome right. and it is the driving Small itself. Small feet. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a strange thing. And but I know you love Mel Robbins. I do. So Mel Robbins, I don't know if you've heard the example that she gave um, where anxiety and excitement actually showcase in your body the same thing. You get like your heart starts mm -hmm. racing a little, your palms start sweating yeah. a little. And so your brain doesn't necessarily know which one you're experiencing. So if you're feeling anxiety, mm -hmm. she said just switch the voice in your head and say, I'm excited. Oh. So instead of focusing on like, oh crap, I've got anxiety, yeah. reframe it and say, I'm excited to get on the freeway. I'm excited to get on oh, the I freeway. Love that. I'm excited to get on the freeway. Because yes. you're reinforcing in your brain why you're feeling the heart mm. palpitations and the sweaty palms. Mm -hmm. And so I've literally now use it like, I'll just say like, I'm excited to do this. And it's like, you've got to force yourself because yeah. it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, 100%. But it's just that little framing in your mind that I just found yeah. fascinating. Isn't it interesting that your brain doesn't know yeah. whether or not you're telling it a lie mm -hmm. or not. It just knows, it just knows and believes whatever you say, whatever you tell it. Yeah. So like you said, if you keep saying, I love driving on the freeway, this is so fun, this is so exciting. Your brain's gonna go, really? Yeah. Oh, hey, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's the hope, right? That you yeah. do it enough, it creates those kind of mental habits. Yeah. Because that habit loop, like, that could be so effective or yeah. so dangerous, depending on what the habit is that you have. Yeah, be careful how you talk to yeah. yourself, right? All right, guys, I really hope that this episode brought you value and gave you tips and strategies to help manage your anxiety. If this did bring you value, please do click that subscribe button down there. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, really do be the hero of your own life.